Welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of If Memory Serves here at NOTLG.com. It's episode 34 our interview with Tony Roberts, the director of the surf movie Ozone. Uh, We're doing a little differently this month. Uh, We decided to take August as a little bit of a rest month because there's just so much going on in the world, um, both with natural disasters and the pandemic, the family getting back to school, that we thought it would be a good time for me to go through, edit up an interview that I did with Tony back in May of 2019 um, on our old setup. So it's going to sound a little rougher. Uh, He was coming in a little hot. I was coming in a little cold quiet, so I've done my best to equalize it, Um, but if it sounds a little iffy, well, that's why, but we wanted to get this out to you on basically what would be the 30th anniversary of the release of Ozone, which is my favorite surf movie that is not The Endless Summer, because that's just a classic unto itself. So we're going to forego doing uh, previously on and in the news. We're going to save all that for next month uh, when we do our Robotech memories. And instead, we're going to jump right into the interview with Tony. So let's jump into that or jump back to that as it was recorded so long ago. I watched it a few times just over the past couple of days just to kind of get me in the right mindset to sit down and talk about it. And I'm... I've been trying to like quantify why this surf movie means more to me than, than other ones, either from the same era or since. Although I will leave like the endless summer as kind of a, you know, up there, my folks raised me on it kind of thing. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure that I can quantify what, for me makes this movie so special well i can definitely say that each special movie has a thing that makes it stand apart and makes it kind of catchy and popular what what have you like endless summer without a doubt i think it was the narration yes it was so classic i mean and the way that he was able to look at little subtle nuances in seaweed and you know, things, kind of peripheral things that a non-surfer would find more interesting than a surfer. Mm-hmm. And that that combined with the fact of the corny surf humor, he just did it perfectly with that formula. And, and that made that movie iconic. Yeah. Um, Ozone, what made that movie stand apart, without a doubt, was the soundtrack. Absolutely. That soundtrack is amazing. And I was shocked as, you know, an early teenager to actually find a copy of it on cassette in a record store, like outside of Santa Cruz. It was in San Jose. Yeah, it was a real popular soundtrack on IRS Records. Um, It was on MTV. Pauly Shore was was hyping it up. Oh, was he really? uh, Yeah. Um, There's... A whole story behind, like how all the music happened, how the movie happened, um, that not many people know about. Uh, right. Definitely, there was a lot of challenges and struggles in in having getting the movie finished. Yeah, it wasn't like an, a smooth road by any means. Okay. but uh, we can definitely get into that if you're interested. I'm I'm very interested. Um, I've, like I said, just, I, I think I want to know, I'm so curious about how it, this 
piece of work can be. So I'm 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 all ears. Well, the movie Ozone came about because I was director of video at O'Neill Incorporated in Santa Cruz, California, in the art department, which was this creative hub of all these amazing artists, uh, like an all-star team of of graphic artists, surfers, um, Tim Ward, Dave Parmley, Jim DeLeon, Andy Jones. I mean, the and the list it just goes on and on and on. Like every single there's just all these creative minds, and we had a video department which Greg Gilholm got started, and then I was his apprentice, and then ended up moving up into the director of video position. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing trade show videos. Uh, the animal wetsuit came out, and we did these real exorbitant effects, and the, the videos were were pretty corporate. Um, yet I was brought on board as director of video due to the fact that I was shooting with all the team riders. So my aesthetic, my look was definitely a lot more raw because you have to understand at this point in time, video kind of just came out. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was all film. And so when it was all film, um, we would make movies to screen in Grange Halls and in auditoriums and make events. So all the kids would come out and we'd have bands playing and and project the the film. Each year, I'd make a different surf film. So being that I was doing this in Santa Cruz, basically the same neighborhood where O'Neill was located, it was natural that I just ended up working there at one point. And when things really started happening for me and Tim Ward and a lot of the other younger kind of artist kids that ended up working there, um, was Dave Parmley, art director, this super creative, uh, like forward thinker, and he likes different different styles and likes pushing the the parameters and, and on all different categories. So, on the video end of things, it became time where we were going to do a surf movie, like not just promotional videos to sell the wetsuits and trade show videos, but an actual surf movie. Mm-hmm. So I pitched it and it got accepted. And so I had an executive music producer, Johnny Abrams, who was another neighborhood friend, surfer, incredible musician. He played in the Square Roots band. Okay. And he, Johnny uh, basically had connections all over LA, Seattle, everywhere really. And we sat down for an initial meeting of what I ideally wanted on the soundtrack. And I literally on a napkin over breakfast with him, Cliff Cafe, and he, every single song that I picked, every single band, he was like, oh, I could get that. I could get that. He had all these connections. I mean, we ended up trading wetsuits to the Red Hot Chili Peppers to use that track. Um... I mean, he had a way to work it with all of them. But, I mean, I remember writing down on there basically what I wanted. And it was a huge part of the final soundtrack was on that initial napkin. Mm-hmm. Just my dream, my goal is to have different styles of music that had never been on a surf video soundtrack before. 
because that was Definitely. the kind of music that me and all my friends liked. And so I wanted rap. You know, I wanted funk. I wanted ska. I wanted like weird, different type of Latin music and African music. And uh, we ended up, of course, getting a song written for one of the segments um, with Cutmaster Kurt and Red, Black, and Green, where we explained to them what the segment was about and what the lyrical content we wanted it to be like. And then they wrote that amazing song, Survival of the which is the iconic Steamerland segment with Tom Curran when he wins that event, being the first event of the trials, surfs through the trials the entire year and wins the world title after yeah. not surfing on the tour for years. So another great like surfing story. So one just leads to another, Taylor. <laughs> I yeah, I I get it. You know, and I, I think that might be part of it for me is I, I remember as a kid, you know, my family, we went to that cold water classic. We were there. Um, and, and somewhere, I, I don't even think we have it anymore. I've got, I just, I saw a, um, contestant. I saw a surfer going, making his way out, uh, to the stairs to go down. Um, and, and I mean, it was, what is, you know, 1990, I had a Polaroid camera, right? That's, that's, that was my technology at the time. And I remember snapping a photo and it wasn't until much later, I realized that that was Curran going out. Um, and, and I kick myself now that I don't have that, you know, I mean, it's a Polaroid, it's not really, um, you know, a high quality photo, but it's one of those things where I kind of wished I still had it. And that song that red, black, and green did it. It's, I mean, I, I think, I think I still know literally every single word to it because I just love it so much to hear a song where they're, you know, they're rapping about surfing and they're rapping about Santa Cruz and they're rapping about, you know, uh, uh, referencing the, the, the Exxon Valdez and all that kind of stuff. And that just kind of blew me away. Yeah, it was wild. When they came over with the song and played for me the first time, I was just so over the moon. I couldn't believe my ears. I was like, wow, you guys, this is more than I could have ever dreamt of. I mean, the, the beat was so hard. I told mm -hmm. Kurt was, I'm still is, of course, but just made the dopest beats and, and I told those guys I wanted like a lot of hype, scratching, and all kinds of beats to edit on. And and then with the lyrics, wow, just the icing on the cake. Totally. But that initial list, I mean, when I went down it, and I, I mean, I never could have dreamt that I would have got all those bands. But I was like, wrote down English Beat, Jane's Addiction, Ice T, um, Pato Banton, mm -hmm. Mano Negro, which. Now is Manu Chow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you just go down the line. And then at the very end, Dave Parmley, there was a couple of tracks that he wanted on there. Uh, that There was the Concrete Blonde track, which I was kind of lukewarm about, but in, now I love it. I mean, it's it fits perfectly with that segment. And um, But, yeah, I chose you know 95% of the soundtrack, and John Abrams was able to clear pretty much every song I wanted. And, and uh, so that really made the movie into a different cultural realm to where, for example, Pato Bantan became an, almost like a spokesperson for surfing and environmental causes due to the fact that he was in the Ozone surf video back in the day, which a lot of people don't know. That was his first link to the surf world and okay. Surf Rider Foundation and, and all that. And, um, I mean, if, 
how that all came to be was absolutely amazing too. And I know you wanted to ask me about that. That was one of the questions you sent me, but yeah. um, I'm going to dive right into that because it's, it's just such a classic uh, circumstance with Pato because my friends and I have, I mean, we grew up heavy duty into reggae. Mm-hmm. I mean, Santa, Santa Cruz, we got, you know, Bob Marley and the Whalers would come here on t- their tours. I grew up near Blue Ridden Records and had Michael Horn who had uh, Palookaville and he would do all the reggae shows. He was like an amazing musical like guru for me and uh, very generous, always giving me music and then setting me up with gigs to ro- actually roadie. Um, for these big reggae shows and I'd be hanging out backstage with the Whalers and Ika Mouse and whoever. So we got to actually meet all these amazing, you know, reggae legends and whatnot. And Pato Bantan would always play in Santa Cruz. And we loved like British reggae, you know, Steel Pulse and just UB40. And, mm-hmm. and Pato Bantan, when he came through, um, John Abrams just got the track cleared for the Ozone soundtrack. So I asked him if he could link it up so that we could do a little bit of footage with the movie. And so Johnny A linked it up and linked us up with Pato Bantan and his manager, GT. So we link up with him and we meet at the sound check at the Catalyst. And say, so they do this amazing sound check, which we end up filming. Okay. And then so they said, you know, what do you guys want to do? And I said, we want to go out to Steamer Lane and just introduce you to all the surfers and just skank around on the cliff and film a little bit of footage and come back. And they're like, okay, cool, no problem. So we get in my car. It's a Datsun 510, just full surf mobile. Nice. Start driving through Santa Cruz, pull out a big bomber, light it up, pass it over to Pato. He smiles, grabs it, passes it back to his manager. We continue on down the street and... uh pull up to the lane, just as iry as can be. And there's Rufo, Richie, Adam, like all the boys, all these girls. It was as spontaneous as it came off, like in the movie. It really was in real life. It was just this gathering, like Pato Bonten. It was just like, yeah, this is killer. Like all the energy. We had a ghetto blaster and started cranking out his tune. He started lip syncing. We just started rolling the Super 8 film. Um... I got some classic stuff I just saw recently that's going to be in the in the 30 year anniversary re-release of Ozone. Nice. That um, there's a, a clip of me filming that that uh, footage of Pato. He's kind of like walking forward and and he's kind of chanting and rapping with all the people behind him. Mm-hmm. Well, that it's like a dolly shot. I'm sitting on my skateboard with a leash tied around my waist, and Felix Alfaro is pulling me backwards as I'm just sitting there with Super 8 camera filming the whole crew, and they're, like, following me as I'm filming backwards on the skateboard. Oh, that's awesome. But it it was just all these, like, different angles and just the full low-tech, high-tech. And and, uh, then we we went back to the Catalyst, and then they played that night, and it was an amazing show. We filmed the whole thing. There's even some, like, live clips in there somewhere. and Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that was how the whole Pato Bantan thing came about. And then we actually rubbed shoulders a couple other times in the future. And um, that's the cool thing about when the music and the surfing and the culture, it, it really does, you know, like like his song says, one world is enough for all of us. You know, no. <laughs> it's so true. It's just, 
it makes the world smaller and smaller. For sure. That's awesome. I actually, I through Instagram and then, and then via email, I actually, I reached out to him to, to hopefully kind of get some of his memories and perspective on that. But un- unfortunately I just, you know, he's been touring and I haven't heard anything back from him, but I, I that's an amazing story. Awesome. Um, so I want to, I want to take a step back just real quick. What exactly is in a pitch? What, 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 what comes about when you actually pitch a surf movie? What, what, what is that like? Well, it's pretty much now, of course, a totally different medium. Right. And what pitching a movie was now wouldn't be valid then and vice versa. And it's, but back then, it was basically coming up with a dollar amount and kind of a, a framework, which I presented in, in a little flip booklet form mm-hmm. um, with just kind of all the bullet points and things I wanted to accomplish. And, and they were stoked on it. They were into it. But it was kind of more like just for, for kind of the big shot callers at O'Neill's, they're not really – a lot of them – we're never really super in tune with what was going on on the street level. They're more like kind of corporate and handling more of the, of the upper management business type of stuff. And they kind of depended on us, the street level guys to, to, you know, just do what was cool and all that kind of stuff, you know, what would be marketable. So there's just different levels and the further kind of up the chain, you got kind of less hands on. They were with what was actually really going on. Mm -hmm. So that always creates a lot of challenges. And so we started off on the project and everything was fine. And then, you know, it's, I'm going to Australia, Africa, traveling with Brad Gerlach everywhere, which yeah. basically meant that anybody else who was on Team O'Neill, we'd be filming with them also. But that was when he was just prime time, you know, second in the world um, that year. Mm-hmm. And so it just opened up all these different avenues for what we we could do with the film. So we're making this incredible movie. I mean, like the the Luke Egan, Matt Poy segment. Yes. I mean, there's from there that these were a lot of these guys' introduction to the U.S. market and um, the surfing that they were doing was revolutionary. And so we had this this amazing film going, and it actually almost towards the end of it. Um, from the very, very top, they said, hey, we don't have any more budget for this project. Uh, we don't want to release it. We don't want to put another penny into this project. And let's just hack up what you've made up to this point and make trade show videos and can the project. Wow. And this was after, you know, traveling around the world. We've got this revolutionary video, you know, in so many ways that the guys that are making this call don't, don't really even know about, you know, and it's hard for us to even really kind of communicate to them at that point so i called a meeting with those guys and asked them if we could renegotiate to where i would get paid less but get a higher royalty Mm -hmm. which i felt would equal out in the end which it definitely did um so that they wouldn't have to shell out any more money but we could finish the project and release it as the as the film which it was entitled to be and luckily they they accepted that and so the film was released shortly thereafter, and at the trade show, it really, at the premiere, it made a huge impact. Uh, because at that point in time, there was only, you know, a couple of videos would come out each year, like VHS. There was no DVDs yet, and so when the, when these films would come out, 
um, you know, one or two films a year would be kind of the video of the year, and Ozone would, would have been that video in 1989. Mm-hmm. So once it came out, it was like, you know, the kind of the, uh, the top guys, they were, they took all the credit for it, you know? And, uh-huh. and when, in reality, they almost canned the whole project. And it, it, was a, it was a big challenge. But you can kind of imagine um, it's never going to be easy when, you're, when you have those kind of corporate dealing with the artistic aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, it did get released. And uh, there's a lot of firsts in that movie, in the surf video realm. I feel like there really are. Um, I, I feel like this might be one of the first videos uh, to really kind of take on a, a big environmental message with it, too. Absolutely. That was the underlying theme and uh, the, the interviews, you know, the quotes about it, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Richie Collins quotes. You know, kind of an early, almost anti-environmentalist. Uh, yeah, because he was going like, it's too late, it's all over, man, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. And that always blew uh, me away. I was just like, no, hang on a second. That was Ozone. You know, it was Gerlach, you know, doing ballet and then boxing. It was, yes. That's what surfing is. It's all these dichotomies and this balance of opposites that create this incredible dance, art, sport it's it's flying in the in this other hemisphere that's not going to be easy to put into a box mm-hmm. but ozone was a little you know purple and blue swirly box that it caused quite a ruckus when it came out and um another kind of poignant first of ozone was the fabio govea segment okay because fabio had just won the world amateur contest mm-hmm. and was on his first year on the world tour and uh, his surfing was just amazing and he's the first brazilian with just with a really really silky smooth power style that everybody liked and so he rode for o'neill so right off the bat i came back to santa cruz after being at a contest and i told the the upper guys at o'neill like hey we got to do a segment with this guy you know he's really good gerlach loves his surfing he's rides for O'Neill, and they're like, Brazil, why Brazil? And I explained to him that I truly felt that Brazil was going to be the future power surfing nation, and that if we were to have the first Brazilian segment in a U.S. video, that would be really cool. And on top of all that, the guy rips. the really sick style, and, and that it's going to open a lot of doors for O'Neill in Brazil. And so they're like, all right, cool. You know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go to Indo. Bali with, with Fabio and Pew Pereira, who was the other O'Neill Brazil rider who I'd seen in some contests. And like, okay. And they hooked us up with the O'Neill rep and we made it happen. And I'd never even met Fabio or Pew before that. And we went to Bali and <clears throat> I was already living like in the village of Bingen in Bali for like the chap- short chapter of my life before that. So this was before there was any people out, out there on the bouquet for the most part. I mean, at least in the morning. In the afternoon, everybody would kind of show up. But in the mornings, nobody even surfed Bingen or these places. So we had this amazing shoot, just surfing Ulus and Bingen every day. And that was the first Brazilian segment in a U.S. movie. And then now, of course, the Brazilian storm, um, you know, is the strongest. Brazil's the strongest surfing nation in the world right now. 
Definitely. And uh, so I hold a lot of pride in that. And in my current work, um, which is I shoot tourists mm-hmm. surfing um, all throughout Central America. And a huge percentage of my client base are Brazilians. Okay. So that's always a fun topic for me to touch with them is because they all remember that segment because it was a big deal in Brazil to have one of their guys in the U.S., you know, major, major video. And then Fabio and I keep in touch. We see each other like every few years and uh, he's still just surfing amazing and shaping amazing boards. And so, yeah, really special. Ozone, there's, you know, everybody has memories from that film that uh, really sparks up a lot of emotion. For sure. Tell me, how did it get its name? We were playing around with just O apostrophe um, and and different, like, I've all double meaning ti- video titles, you know, where you you can, you know, like above and beyond, you know, it's just, there's so many different ways you can just take those two words and twist them around to where you can almost make it like whatever, you know, you want. Fresh Air is another one of my videos. You know? mm-hmm. I always like the double meaning uh, video title words. And so I think it might have been Parms, Dave Parmley, who actually came up with the title Ozone. But we were at a design meeting and we were throwing around ideas. We had a bunch of different um, – everybody brought to the table all these different uh, – titles with o apostrophe we were kind of set on that we wanted to do something with the o apostrophe because there's just so many cool things you can do with that Mm -hmm. and i mean i like if i'm doing a corporate video for it to have that brand identity as much as possible and then try to try to just do something cool that's going to help them really sell product at the end is you know do something artistic but it's for a company to Mm -hmm. sell wetsuits in this case so I think, yeah, Dave Parmley came up with the name Ozone, I'm pretty sure. And that was just from kicking around all these different O, o theories. <laughs> and and who, I mean, was it was it Dave? Was it Tim? Was it more of a collaboration? How did that, that color-blasted, uh, you know, cover art come to be? Oh, my God. That, oh, my goodness. Like, that art studio, um, it was called OFX. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Mick Yank, of course, another, like, just crazy artist in there. There's so many guys uh, that, like, they would they were taking the 80s, like, color and motif and just almost kind of, in my opinion, like, I don't want to say making a mockery of it, but just, like, playing with it. Almost like, oh, you want color? How's this? You know, and then just the, the, you know, the yellow, orange, red, blast you know like type of stuff and the ozone video cover wasn't i mean that wild compared to basically what ofx was doing in the ads and in our trade show videos yeah like trade show video called future shock was the name of the ad campaign and uh we had these voice effects future shock 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 with like laser beams and crazy like 80 colors effects like just trying to like shock people's eyeballs or something i don't know it was really it was really fun. Like the wetsuits were like fluorescent green with orange panels, and I mean, it was just just the color, just out coloring the colors. It was it was super fun. Yeah, I I, I remember it. I mean, I, I I know you said you listened to uh, um, the episode of the podcast that my brother and I do, 
Um, so, I mean, th this whole era for me was peak surf culture as a kid. So yeah, I was picking up the magazines. I, you know, I remember seeing all those ad, um, uh, all those ads in the magazines. Um, you know, I, the couple of wetsuits I had as a kid doing boogie board in Santa Cruz when we'd go over and go camping. I mean, yeah, they were, it was all that brightly colored stuff. And I think even today there's just, I, for me, at least there's a nostalgia for it and, you know, I, I look at the, the cover of the VHS that I've got, you know, on uh, on my shelf or, or the movie poster that I amazingly found on eBay and was like, oh, my God, I have to have this, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that whole design is just awesome. It's just so that point in history. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that was when the whole color thing was just peaking, like 1989. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody in the uh, Coldwater Classic segment i mean all those outfits all those jackets yeah what a style right <laughs> i really liked it i mean i like the way the colors look on my eyeball like even if it's a jacket or pants mm -hmm. or something you know and growing up in santa cruz it was such a kind of cloned out clicky scene that everybody would dress the same and i was always really anti that you know the dress code and in my kind of social circles was like Levi's or like Ben Davis pants and then like a dark colored like surf brand t-shirt then some like black shoes you know mm -hmm. I'd be rocking up with the baggy ass like pumpkin colored trousers with like a olive green like thrift store collar shirt with some like bowling shoes or some you know just like <laughs> just trip because it all came from ozone and it all came from the eighties to where there was all those colors. And then all of a sudden colors weren't cool anymore. Mm -hmm. F that I've always liked colors. You know? and, and if somebody's going to dress just like everybody else for the sake of dressing like everybody else, I mean, what's the fun in that? I mean, it's not a, not a fashion show out there. I mean, most important is comfort, but have some fun. You know, it's like, that was what that, point in history really reminds me of it's all that color and all that fun you know and got to keep that stoke alive exactly exactly i i totally agree <laughs> um i'm trying to think of what else i want to ask and, uh, my mind is kind of soaking in what you're telling me and, and and also just trying to come up with uh you know any other questions that come to mind i i i come back a lot and i really in the past few days just kind of really glommed on to to how how much it was edited to the music um and and how you know you really kind of made all that really fit together and and one of the things that i keep coming back to is that whole uh section where uh brad gerlach is recounting this you know ginormous wave and he's relating it to where he's standing on this like um this porch or something that he's at Oh my god, so funny. I mean, we would just literally almost like joust comedy back and forth to just mm -hmm. crack each other up on a constant basis. And it wasn't even for the cameras, just kind of what we did. And uh, uh, I mean, there's just so much classic footage that I've been going through a lot of it lately, and a lot of it's going to get busted out. I mean, his physical comedy like was second to none. I mean, he could, like, imitate animals and, 
uh, you know, just contort his body into these positions is just really, really freaky. But that day um, was in Baja, California, and we were just riffing. And the funny thing is the camera that like 80 plus percent of ozone was filmed with was this old three quarter inch news camera. Okay. So the thing, yeah, it was massive. Just the camera itself was super, super heavy. And then the cables were like an inch thick that connected to this huge recorder that was like the size of a briefcase and just with these huge three quarter inch tapes in it. I mean, the batteries were like the size and, and weight of a brick. You'd have a few of those. So like, we're talking prehistoric video gear, and it was heavy. So that was just Brad and I sitting on top of this Mexican kind of pyramid thing, meaning that he must have helped me carry the gear up there because it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. So he carried the recorder up there. And so – that's the funny thing I think about with a lot of that footage is how darn big that camera was. And we're still just riffing, joking, like, you know, candid. But that's with a big news camera. And uh, he's, he's got the gift of, of being able to riff. And, and he, when he's saying something to somebody, he's reading that person's face and seeing if he's getting through to him. Mm-hmm. And he'll kind of adapt his bit to the reaction or lack thereof. And so he starts getting snickers and laughs out of people. Then he knows what direction to go. And then he'll just start jousting you with this comedy that he'll just move in for the kill. And then you're just going to be in stitches. You know, it just, he's one of the funniest humans on earth. It seems it. And he does a really good redneck impersonation. Oh yeah. That, I mean, the accents never end. The, the Aussie ones. I mean, his dad's from, uh, Eastern Europe, so he's got this array of accents that are just incredible. That's so cool, um, man. I, I just, I'm, I'm. Your stories, I'm just reading in my mind what it must have been like to be a fly on the wall as all this was going on. Yeah, it was wild because I mean we're pulling up to J Bay in South Africa, which is you know the best wave in the world. Right. Pipe, pipeline, you know, um, our crew is crushing it. You know, the Santa Cruz guys are coming up out of nowhere, you know, in our own level, you know. And then Luke, Egan, and, and Kerr, uh, you know, even Fabio Govea and, you know, Shane Beshin was on the team back then. And Kelly Slater even, you know, back then was just a young Grom and he was Team O'Neill. And so... I mean, it was a point in time to where we're showing up to these events, these these venues that we'd always dreamt of going, just going to, but we're showing up, you know, winning contests, making, you know, award-winning videos, and um, it just, and each person, you know, who was involved in that, all of them were just following their heart, trying to do the best that they could to just surf as well as they could. Or in my and my filmmaker friends' world, you know, to to make as good of video and audio as, as we could, and so we just put our heads down and just and just stayed true to what we were trying to do, and the rest just kind of unfolded on its own. Luckily, which is a big sign of the times back then, you know, companies had budgets, you know, companies were making money, and 
and companies needed bright, you know, in tune people and ideas to to take it to the next level. You know, and nowadays it's you know everything's completely changed. Yeah, the internet, social media, it it really kind of has changed that whole medium. It really has. But I love it. I mean, I've always stayed on top of the technology every single step of the way and ad- adjusted my angles and, and my futuristic way of, of, of capturing um, feelings interwound into the sports and the, and the audio aspect of it. That's how. Mm-hmm. So 30 years on, I mean, we're coming right up on it wait remind me what um when was ozone originally released was it in 89 or was it in 90 i believe it was in 89 the uh like september trade show okay perhaps long beach the trade show was usually in september so gotcha and and did it like concurrently get like the vhs release you can you could pick it up in shops at that point do you know Exactly. Yep. Okay. okay. And so O'Neill had its reps selling wetsuits and clothing to every surf shop in the world already. So the video was plugged right into their rep network, and uh, thing went worldwide. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I thought I remember the soundtrack coming out in '90, so I couldn't remember if the movie was also '90 or if it was '89. Well, the soundtrack came out on CD. And I'm pretty sure there were, I don't remember CDs around when the, when Ozone was first released on VHS. So I think that was right about the year that CDs were coming, were popping up. It might have been. I mean, I had it on, I had it on cassette first and then I later yeah. found a CD copy. Yeah. Yeah. First it was just cassette. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So classic. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm still just proud that I have, you know, that original cassette and it plays okay. It never got garbled in a in a Walkman or anything. Oh, uh, I know that's cool. I heard on one of your podcasts you playing a cassette to your brother. I was like, oh my god, that's classic. Still got one. Yes, yeah, that was one of those things. Um, he actually um, he wanted to say thanks for because I'll do all the editing and posting it and a lot of the social media for it. And he's like, dude, I, I want to get you something to say thanks. And um, at that point, I was kind of scoping out this old. Um, you know, one of those yellow Sony sports Walkman um, oh. that like had a, had a, like a flip tab and opened up like it was a seal um, kind of unit that I had when I was a kid. And I was like, well, I was just looking at this and he's like, dude, I'm going to get that for you. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to tell you no. Sports, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bright yellow thing. Sports Walkman. Yeah. Sony brand. Yep. Um, so I've got, you know, exactly. Oh man. Those long bus rides back in the day with a Sony Walkman was just like set. Oh yeah. I did an entire flight to New Zealand and Australia before upgrading to CDs. So I had like a whole, you know, case logic thing of cassettes that I hauled with me. Oh, that's so good. Right. (laughs) So it sounds like you still have a lot of the extra footage and other things that went with the production of this film originally. What are you kind of 
planning or wanting to put together for the re-release? Yeah, so what I have going right now is um, I'm getting together all this old stock footage that was shot during the filming of Ozone. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of B-roll stuff where just the guys horsing around or waves that didn't quite make the cut, but they were pretty classic. And there's a lot of historical poignant stuff that I was surprised when I went back through it that didn't make the original movie. But anyways, I'm going to do like a just a big fun kind of like director's cut and we're redigitizing the original ozone nice. and so it's going to be released uh in in a duo and i'm also working on a tr productions box set which is all 20 of my video titles wow. surf yeah surf and skate from uh starting in 85 um all the way through till the end of of uh, VHS, which was what, like 97 or 98 or something? Yeah, give or take. So, uh, yeah, so I was coming out averaging a movie a year, and sometimes, like for example, in 89, Speed Freaks was released also, which was the Santa Cruz Skateboard um, Wheel Division release. Mm-hmm. And Speed Freaks and Ozone were the two biggest releases of my entire career and they were both the same year in 1989 and a lot of that has to do with the fact like i said earlier that the the video market was small you know there wasn't that many videos on the market so if you came out with a good one you were going to have you know a, a very significant percentage of the surf video market per se right so um and it was the same with skate videos back then because there still wasn't consumer video cameras readily available mm-hmm. and there was like broadcast video cameras and there was film and so i already had my films rocking and then so when video came around um i was able to just transfer films i already had straight onto video and start selling them right well i tell you if you think about doing a uh, director's commentary track on uh at least on ozone i think that would be really some neat insights yeah, that'd be fun. I definitely would like to get like some some of the guys that are in the movie too to to do some voiceovers and watch the footage with them and um, record their voice and um, and video present day would be hilarious. Oh, I think that would be fun. Fa- I mean, you, you you've already definitely sold one. I mean, I'm I'm totally down for it. <laughs> <laughs> Stoked. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, that that's just gonna just kind of complete the the set the the vhs the cassette tape the cd the movie poster the re-release yes <laughs> you know if there was a t-shirt i'd probably get that too <laughs> oh there'll be t-shirts oh shut up don't get me started oh man oh yeah oh boy that that would be awesome um so is is um with with re-release, do you have to go through and like re-license the music? Do you have to go through O'Neill to do anything these days, or is it all yours now? Yeah, I mean it's pretty cool because um, the way that I negotiated the the film with O'Neill was when I pitched it to him, I gave them three options: they could pay me tons of money and then own the movie outright forever; mm-hmm. they could pay me a decent amount of money and a decent royalty, and we would both retain rights to the movie, or they didn't even have to pay me anything and I would make all the money from the sales of the movie 
and own the movie 100%. And they chose the second option. So, um, yeah, I retain rights to the movie. Cool. Um, and, yeah, they're on board. Super stoked. You know, and um, I still need to talk to a couple other of the of the team over there. But, um, you know, we're all family. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just amazing promotion for everyone. Very cool. I, I, I can't wait to watch this develop and, and um, you know, see it come to fruition. This is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, boy. I'm, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head uh, to ask. You know, I know I still have got other folks I want to get a hold of and, and, and understanding more of the production of it. Uh, having talked to you, I know I can better form my questions for them, so I appreciate that very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, anything else with, you know, the creation of this film that really stands out that, that you know, you want to share with the world uh, in this, this little interim before, before it comes back to us? Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like the real core surfing community love reggae are punkers you know like the jazz cat hipster guys you know surfing it's always been really about all these different kind of cross-cultural um differences and similarities and surfing is kind of the dance that when it mixes with these other things it makes it just so exotic you know it's like ozone somehow captured that you know and the ingredients are kind of what you know what make an end recipe really tasty so i dig it i dig it man this is this is really cool i i really really appreciate your time uh tony thank you i'm glad we were able to to hook up and finally record uh this and kind of start to get this out um and by the way um i found the hip-hop skate mix that you've got on soundcloud and i love it oh thank you very much i was actually listening to it on the drive home today um bay area traffic is a lot more manageable with grooves like that going on i'll say that yeah i'm uh, also a dj dj 20s yes and um i i play all over central america and the caribbean and uh i'll mc and dj like skate contests and whatnot and uh that skate mix is was all our favorite songs that we used to skate. I've always had like a ramp or I've always had something at my house to skate. Mm-hmm. And I would do these routines basically to these different songs. And so 90s hip hop has the perfect flow for skateboarding. Like on a mini ramp, for example, it's just like trick after trick. And you just like, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not all fast and crazy. So you get, get all spent. It's more like real mellow and, and flowy so you can just get on your groove and and skate for longer you know more like longevity rather than just spazzing out and so yeah i'm stoked that you listen to that yeah and so i'm also have uh so that's one of the things i'm doing and of course i've always continued to make movies you Mm -hmm. know and changing with the times and the different different formats and so i have a new youtube uh show called real yeah, it's called Real Surf Stories. And I just started it like a few weeks ago. I've got four episodes up there. But uh, the latest episode is the biggest day ever 
paddled into at Puerto Escondido, Mexico. And it's like basically 100-foot waves with, with guys paddling in, not towing in with jet skis. Jeez. And it's just full-on carnage and glory. And it has the Mark Healy wave, which is possibly the biggest wave ever paddled into at Puerto Escondido, which is a beach break. So it's not like Waimea Bay or Mavericks or Jaws where you have a channel. Puerto Escondido, there's no channel. It's just gnarly carnage. So, hmm. yeah, so that's the new show, Real Surf Stories. And it's sponsored by Real Surf Trips, which is my company. I do surf trip packages and skate, surf and skate trip packages to um, all over Central America and the Caribbean where people come down and they get to shoot with me. We make a movie of their entire trip and I show them where all the best waves are, best places to skate, best places to eat, all the fun activities. So realsurftrips.com is is my company. Awesome. So that's what's up. Yeah. Right on. All right. And you're obviously you're on you're on Instagram and stuff too and people I'm sure can find you there. Yep, I'm on Instagram. Uh Real Surf Trips. Also um at Tony Roberts photo. Mm-hmm. Um at DJ Twinies also. It's a real low pro one, but yeah, a couple beats. Yeah, for sure, man. I you know, I I have to admit, I am so glad that I took the time to, you know, kind of comb my way through the credits of o- of Ozone and just start looking you guys up on the on the internet and connecting with you guys and just you know kind of getting that that deeper connection with this whole um, phenomenon, as it were. Oh, that's been awesome. That's really amazing. That's I mean, there's so many people who who, you know, had such a big part in it, you know, like Tim Ward. I mean, mm-hmm. all the all the crazy little um, animation graphics, you know, all that stuff, you know, that was all him. And he was doing that stuff on like an Amiga 2000. Yeah, I think he posted a picture of the rig that he was doing wow. all that on, and it's huge. It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's so talented. I mean, he's the best sketch artist and and you know just drawer ever and then it was the er, on the early computer graphics and the things as well so um his his aesthetic and it, it's crazy how he would um his his characters that he would draw like the surfing and skateboarding animation mm-hmm. the characters that he would draw had his actual style like the way that he surfs and skateboards, the way he like puts his hands and his body positioning and everything. Mm-hmm. Like when, like one of his characters was Peabody the Shred Ant, who <laughs> we would film these like frame by frame, um, like Super Eight animations of him doing like nine hundreds and ten eighties and all these different tricks that that actually came to be like years later. But like Tim Ward like imagined them and actually drew them out with you know the Shred Ants, you know just crazy stuff. So awesome. yeah. So by the time that Ozone came about, we already had years of our own like stop frame animation going. And then he had his first computer. Um, well, I don't know if it's the first, but it was definitely one of the first ones. And he would do a little bit of work, and then it would have to render forever. And then it, and, it, and then you have to fill in all the pixels. And it was really funny. I mean, he used to do my video covers for all my VHS tapes, and and he, he'd like take a photograph and then do like rub rub out letters and like 
put them on top of the of like a, a Xerox of a photo or an actual photo, and it was full roots, you know. Wow. And so OFX Art Studio, it was like all these crazy street level like skate surf artists got their chance to like kind of work in in the best art studio around with a with some super super legit art directors, you know, like Jim DeLeon. Uh, Mick Yankis and Dave Parmley, like those guys are like top, top shelf artists. Cool. And everyone else who worked there. Super <laughs> amazing. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm sitting here, Mike, I, just, I can't think of, of anything else. I, I, you know, again, I want to thank you for your time. I know it's probably after 10 over there now. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I tell you what, if you, you find yourself up here in Northern California sometime, give a shout, you know, if I can, uh, if I can swing it, you know, let's hang out. Oh, for sure. I make it up there every couple of years. I love cool. to bring my daughter up there and take her to the boardwalk and, you know, go see all the fellas. And yeah, I love Santa Cruz. Awesome. Hey, Tony, thank you again. I know we'll my pleasure talk again for sure. I mean, I'll let you know as I get a hold of everybody else and I start kind of putting this together and, and yeah, let's stay in touch, man. Okay, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That's some great stories, man. All right, Taylor. Keep up the great work, man. Thank you very much. You have a great night. Okay, take care. All right, there you go. There you have it. My interview with Tony Roberts. It was a treat to talk to him, and I really wish that I had been able to uh, pull the rest of uh, everyone together into interviewing and doing a big project for it but it just started to become too hard to get everyone scheduled and uh, get everyone talked to and and the idea just kind of lost steam Um, but we thought it important to still get this interview out Um, I know that Tony has on his YouTube um, an edit of the Ozone movie if you want to go watch it for free if you don't actually have a copy which I can't imagine anybody listening to this probably does, but if you do, hey, cool. Uh, if not, you can cruise eBay for it and possibly find a copy out there. They do exist. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us this month, and uh, make sure to join us next month for our Robotech memories. Uh, in the meantime, you can like us on Facebook and follow us at Twitter at MemoryServesPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Blue Box UFO, and you can follow Seb on Twitter at Clan McMuffin. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and wherever you consume podcasts. You can find us, just search up If Memory Serves. Uh, if you want to, follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash uh, N-O- no, the N-O-T-L-G, and you will get all of the podcasts on the network right through that feed. They get posted there first. Um, if you want to, if you're in a position to uh, and you want to support us, you can go to Spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G or Patreon.com slash N-O-T-L-G and either make a donation or buy some sweet merch. Uh, but at the same time, in a situation like this, support your individual artists, your independent businesses, and all of them. And we will talk to you next month. Good night. It would be a great story because it, the story itself is really classic. <laughs>